Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese just went inconveniently poopy in his trousers, metaphorically, on the issue of battery electric utes. Perhaps someone should set him straight on that. I'm Joe Logan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. <laughs> Not electric utes though, because you just can't buy one down under, dude. They're called facts. Website. Card. Now... I think we can all agree that Albo's a substantial upgrade over that lying, incompetent, megalomaniacal cock who preceded him, so that's good for us. He does seem to be sincere, albeit a plotter, acting in the national interest. So that's nice. Pro tip, to mount a personal opinion defence against defamation action, you have to do two things. You have to declare what you've said as your opinion, and you have to base it on true facts which you Eludicate. So let us do that briefly. Lying, let us use Crikey's excellent compendium of Morrisonian lies while he occupied the big office in... <coughs> Bruh, shall we? As for incompetent, let us just look at pandemic response and everything he said in relation to that, including memorably, it's not a race, when pretty clearly it is, was, still is. And let's look at megalomania, shall we? Now, for that, let's use every news report for the past four weeks about him mysteriously appointing himself secretly the minister for just about everything while we were all on lockdown. If that's not megalomaniacal, what is? And as for cock, that's just a completely subjective determination, and I'm sure I'm not alone there. So there's that. In other words, I'm a fan of Alba, but I don't want to give him endless free kicks when he fucks something up, which he did during his National Press Club address on the 28th of August in Canberra. Now, the National Press Club is a kind of suck fest between people like industry group leaders or politicians who get invited to come and have a little chat with the press, right? So there's an address and then there's a Q&A session. And the ABC streamed Mr Albanese's whole address with the Q&A live and it is still up there on YouTube. So you can watch that and make sure that I am not misrepresenting him, okay? Now, Ben Westcott from Bloomberg asked Mr Albanese the following question about green manufacturing and international competition. And basically the core of Mr Westcott's question was how does Australia compete with other developed nations who all want to secure lucrative green manufacturing businesses? So pretty good question. And Alba did give a pretty good answer. And to be completely fair, I'd have to say that it's very difficult to stand up in front of a group of people for more than an hour and not fuck something up. I say this with some bitter personal experience, right? Because it's a test, there's massive scrutiny, and it's hard to wing it, particularly during Q&A sessions, and just get everything right. It is, okay? I'm winging it now with my cheat notes, and hopefully I won't fuck too many things up. So, anyway... Albo gave a pretty good response about things like resources for battery manufacturing and solar cells, because Australia has been a magnificent innovator in uh, solar cell development over the years, for decades, right? And he was quite right when he mentioned that uh, there wouldn't be a solar panel in the world now that didn't benefit from some technology that was designed in Australia. And I think the dude who did it there was at the 
University of New South Wales, if memory serves, Dr. Martin Green. Anyway, Google can tell you whether or not I'm on the money about that. But I wrote a story about him for the bulletin decades ago now about his development of super-efficient uh, solar cells. So we have been a good innovator there. But the thing I'm going to really take issue with the PM is the following quote. He said, I noticed the coalition slipping back into that argument and what he means is about EVs ending the weekend. Remember when ScoMo said that, EVs are going to end the weekend. I noticed the coalition slipping back into that argument over the weekend about utes, said the PM. You can't buy an electric vehicle ute. It's just absurd. We need to show we are up for it. You know, the, the sort of statements of electric vehicles would end your weekend were just extraordinary and just sent completely the wrong message. Coalition slipping back into that argument over the weekend about utes. You can't buy an electric vehicle ute. It's just absurd. So Mr Albanese was having a shot at the Coalition for telling people that you can't buy an electric ute. And dude... You can't. They're called facts. So let's look at why. And let's look at why you're not going to be able to buy an electric ute, or at least a decent electric ute for a reasonable price for the foreseeable future, because that's how this works. We're talking about available technology and implementing it to do the kind of shit that Australians want to do. He then went on this kind of extended rant, which was essentially evangelising the global transition away from internal combustion and towards battery electric, like there weren't any impediments to work out there. So let me lay out for you what the problem is with utes. Now, the big problem for Australia is that when you look, for, for example, in June, just gone, what were the top 10 vehicles, okay? Five of those top 10 vehicles, well, four of them were utes, Hilux, Ranger, D-Max and Triton were four of the top 10 vehicles on sale in Australia. And a fifth one is friggin' Land Cruiser. And when you add up the total sales of those five vehicles, it's 17,564 out of 29,440 for the top 10. So 60% of the top 10 vehicles are these big, heavy mother lovers. That's what Australians like to buy. And I'm as guilty as the next dude because I've got a dual cab ute sitting just out there, not 20 feet away, okay? You can't buy an electric ute. That's just a fact. So you can buy an electric ute in the United States. In fact, they've just deployed a bunch of electric utes, well, three main ones, the Lightning, the Rivian, and the um, Hummer. Okay, so let's look at the Ford F-150 Lightning Platinum. It's a really interesting vehicle, okay? And I'm going to refer to my cheat notes because there's a lot of facts here to get through, okay? It's got a 131 kilowatt hour battery. And I know many people are still kind of hazy on kilowatt hours because the only place I've ever seen it is their so-called power bill which is bullshit anyway, because kilowatt hours are a unit of energy, not power. So when you get your power bill, it's not a power bill, it's a friggin' energy bill. So it's just like joules or calories, whatever. They're all units of energy. Kilowatt hours is just a unit of energy. And 131 is a lot of electrical energy in a battery, okay? Kia EV6, 77. And I think Kona Electric is 64 or 66, okay? 
Now, that battery in the F-150 Lightning, that's got to weigh about 900 kilos, right? It's a big, heavy thing, and it's hard to package. It takes up a lot of space. Thankfully, F-150 is a big thing, okay? It's 5.9 metres long, which means it's roughly about two feet longer, 600 millimetres longer, than one of our popular dual cabs, okay? It's two metres wide, so it's a big, wide metal lever as well, and it's 1.989 metres high, okay? So it's got its own postcode. The wheelbase is 3.6 metres, right? The wheelbase in one of our more conventional dual cabs here on the roads in Australia, more like three metres, three and a bit, 3.085 in the case of Hilux, I think it is, okay? So the price of that vehicle, the F-150 Lightning Platinum in the United States is 93,000 US dollars. That's a lot of hoot, okay? And for comparison for a vehicle that you can buy here, let's look at the Ram 1500 Laramie, okay? The internal combustion one. In the United States, that vehicle is 45,000 US dollars, which is like 66,000 Australian dollars. But by the time you get it to Australia and you put the steering wheel on the other side, because, you know, land of right-hand drive here, it's $124,000, okay? So we've turned a 66,000 Australian dollar car in the United States to 124 just by bringing it here and moving the steering wheel, okay? You can buy two very nice friggin' Hiluxes for that, dude. So I'd suggest that if we use the same kind of cost multiplication mathematics there, that 93 US thousand dollar lightning is going to be more like 175,000 Australian dollars by the time you can buy one here. You can buy three pretty nice Hiluxes for that, okay? This vehicle, the F-150 Lightning Platinum, it weighs... 3.1 tons. That's the curb weight. That's 1,000 kilos more than the kind of dual cab ute that we all lust after in Australia, or at least half of the car buying population. Okay? A thousand kilos more. That means bigger tyres, brake wear, tyre wear, all of the pollution from that kind of stuff, which is quite injurious to human health by the friggin' way is accelerated, as is the damage on the roads, by virtue of the additional mass. It's a ton more dead frigging empty, okay? The official tow capacity, and you might want to take your pants off now and get ready to riff air guitar, dude, four and a half tons. It's actually 10,000 pounds, right, which is about four and a half metric tons. So that's a thousand kilos more than the kind of shitbox ute that you're probably lusting after now, a Ranger or a Hilux, something like that, okay? How friggin' ever, Car and Driver, the US automotive publishing behemoth, they did an EV tow test recently, real-world EV tow test, okay? And they used the Hummer, the Rivian, and the F-150 Lightning Platinum, and they put a 2.8-tonne camper trailer behind it. That's metric tons, okay? Their trailer, 6,100 pounds, the equivalent of 2.8 tonnes here. So not the biggest friggin' trailer you'll ever see on Australian roads behind one of our much smaller utes. And here's what they found, right? The range 
for that vehicle with its massive 130 kilowatt hour battery, the range dropped to 160 kilometres when towing at freeway speed, 70 miles an hour in their case, which is 112 kilometres an hour for us. So totally representative of our freeway driving. 160 k's of heavy towing, okay? So let's just think about the implications of that. And I'd suggest the bigger the vehicle, the less practical the battery EV powertrain becomes. This is very simple mathematics because batteries are heavy and the heavier you make them, the more of their own energy they have to consume because they're proportionally more of the vehicle's overall mass, the more energy they have to consume moving the friggin' battery. It's a diminishing returns thing, right? And clearly, this is why Electric Jesus has failed to deploy the Cybertruck and the Tesla Semi for years now because the battery technology improvements that he kept evangelizing, which kept not materializing, have not yet happened. It's like frigging fusion power. It's been five to ten years away for the past 50 years. And the reason why battery technology is so difficult to improve is because the periodic table of elements is known, okay? And every time you tweak something in the electrolyte or something in the construction, something else takes a hit. If you tweak the power density, the likelihood of having a catastrophic thermal runaway increases. And if you tweak the service life, the ability to draw power out of the battery quickly takes a hit. And there's several different factors, and if you tweak one of them, the rest all take a hit, right? And that's because there's no miraculous new technology ready to be deployed. There's some nice ideas, but they're not production ready, and there's no evidence that they're going to be production ready anytime soon, okay? So Here's the conclusion that I draw from this, okay? You're gonna spend 175,000 bucks, right? You're gonna load up with a trailer or gear or whatever, put your very fat family in and a bunch of your shit in the tray and put a camper trailer behind this thing and you're gonna to have to go off and stop every hour and 15 minutes if you're configured like that, driving at freeway speeds, every hour and 15 minutes, you're gonna drive about 160 Ks. You'll probably wanna leave some reserve in the tank, so to speak. So every hour and 15, every hour and 20, you're gonna to have to stop and you're gonna to have to find something like a 50 kilowatt DC charger. And yeah, I know they can get 350 kilowatt chargers or more, Good luck finding one in the boonies. Good luck finding anything more than about a 15 amp single phase PowerPoint in the friggin' boonies currently. But let's say you can find a 50 amp DC fast charger. Sorry, 50 kilowatt DC fast charger, okay? You're gonna have to stop for nearly three hours to recharge your 131 kilowatt hour battery right? So you drive for an hour 15, hour 20, something like that, and then you stop for three hours. That's not going to be good for the friggin' obesity epidemic, isn't it? You can eat a lot of burgers and chips, can't you, in three friggin' hours at some roadside hovel in the outback. But that is the current state of play of technology. I'd suggest that's a hell of a way to see the outback Dude, and I'm going to have more to say on this tomorrow, okay? I'm going to lay out the physics of why this battery technology thing sucks the heavier you make the vehicle. Because most people, 
including our friggin' PM, don't get this. And it's such basic physics, okay? It's like basic applied science. And scientific literacy in Australia is flat out abysmal, apparently at the highest level. So I'm going to have more to say on that. This vehicular obesity epidemic and EV evangelism is a marriage made in hell. These two things cannot coexist, all right? Not unless there is some unforeseen miraculous improvement in available technology that is able to be productionized. I'm not talking about some article in some friggin' scientific journal about graphene, right? I'm talking about something that's off the shelf and available now. So if you want to know more about this because you're keen to see the transition to EV or alternative power plants, you care about the future, but you still want to tow your friggin' acoustically transparent shitwire full of your effluent all the way around the country to Dingo Piss Creek and places of that nature, then there are real practical impediments, and I'm going to lay them out for you tomorrow. If you want to do long-distance driving and heavy towing or extensive off-roading, internal combustion, I'd suggest, is going to be the only frigging option for at least a decade to come and probably longer. Or perhaps we'll just do a mad social experiment and change the culture and prevent people from recreational pursuits such as that. How do you feel about that, being told what you can do on the weekend? And I hate to say it, but the coalition was right when they made that statement about EVs and ending the weekend, because if we mandated EVs today, utes and four-wheel drives and severe off-roading and heavy towing would all disappear because they can't be done successfully in the context of Australian adventuring with EVs. Just, it can't be done. So hit subscribe and the bell notification icon for that. I will pump that live tomorrow at about 6pm. It's actually uploaded, ready to go. I'm just promoting it now because this is something that many people care about, given the huge volume of people out there actually buying internal combustion, dual cab, 4x4 utes and similar sort of off-road capable vehicles today. I'd also suggest that the real growth opportunity for EVs is not these big fuck-off vehicles, right? It's smaller devices. It's like electric bikes and scooters. And before you go off and scoff at me for that, it becomes less attractive to have an EV powertrain the heavier you make the vehicle. Well, guess what? It becomes more attractive financially and for the environment to make them lighter and lighter and lighter. And you might hate bicycles, you might hate scooters, you might just think they're vermin, whatever. Every bicycle, every scooter, every personal mobility device that is not a car, it is not a car that is in front of you gumming up the road that you are on today, okay? So if you're a tradie and you've got to move, I don't know, a ton of tools and building materials from your home in the western suburbs over to some affluent dude's building site in the eastern suburbs and you're on the road for an hour a day, if some dude's only got to go 5Ks and he's on a scooter or a bike, he's not gumming up the road in front of you. And there's a much better payback algorithm for these smaller vehicles as well. I'm going to have more to say on that this week too. And I'm talking about devices where you can just leave the car in the garage, in the driveway, whatever, and go off and do a series of short trips not gum up the roads, save a bit of CO2 and pay the bloody thing back in under a couple of years. This is a win for society. It's a win for you. You're going to save money 
And nobody, but nobody, including a frigging Prime Minister, is talking about any of that. 